Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Tiger Minor League Report podcast here at uh, MotorCityBangles.com. And over, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Art Media, and Sichler. No Jake tonight. Jake is seeing a friend of the Tiger Minor League Report, James Shipman. He's down in Florida hanging out and having a weekend. So hopefully we'll have Jake on next week. But I wanted to talk a little bit of Ohio baseball. We have two of our favorite colleagues on here. On tonight, Justin Latta, who writes for the Guardians Baseball Insider.com and also at Prospects Live, and Doug Gray, who is pretty much everything Reds, and he runs the Reds Minor League Report.com, Reds Minor Leagues.com. I should have just said that in the first place. And he does a lot, just covers the big league team as well. And there's a trade out today that we'll discuss a little bit that I'm not sure how Doug feels about it. I saw his write up, but I don't know if there's any anger behind that write up or. He's just waiting to see what happens, but welcome, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Justin, I have no complaints. Doing? Baseball's coming back and had March Madness getting ready to start. It's a good time of year. Yeah, Michigan got in as 11 seed. I'm pretty stoked about that. Where, where did Ohio State get in? They got in as a seven. Oh, nice. But they got Loyola, so I don't know. The, the fighting sister jeans are tough. What's that? I, was, I, was I hope say so. The- Oh, Doug, I was going to ask, do you have a college basketball favorite or anything? Or The Cincinnati Bearcats, but they were they were not good this year. <laughs> they they will not be playing. Okay. I, I just remember the Bob Huggins years as fondly as I remember them. So, yes. But so, yeah, there's let's get into the trade that happened today for the Reds as Sonny Gray goes to the Twins. And there was a, it was a I expected, I thought the Tigers would make a play at it, but I guess I was wrong. And the Tigers are unpredictable when it comes to that, but they acquired top pitching prospect Chase Petty. And this was a trade that kind of, I don't know, to me, caught me off guard. Francis Allegro also goes the other way. And Doug, let's start with what were your first impressions of this trade? I think that I speak for most Reds fans, anybody that covers the Reds. It just feels like from the front office and ownership, another situation where they're just cutting as much salary as they can. They put Wade Miley on waivers for some reason to save a million dollars and lost him to the Cubs right before the uh, the lockout happened. You know, they traded Tucker Barnhart, which I'm sure you guys are aware of, for, with, with all due respect, for a, a player who has not performed at all in the minor leagues, just to, you can say that they wanted to cut salary there. I think they also did that because they were opening up a spot for one of their catchers, Tyler Stevenson, to take over the job more full-time. But I mean, uh, it just seems that the Reds are trying to cut as much payroll as possible. And I think that for the most part, that's the way a lot of people are looking at this from the Reds perspective. I do think that there's not enough people giving as much credit to Chase Petty as they should. He's He was a first-round pick last year. Now, he is far away from major leagues. He's still just 18 years old for a couple of more weeks. And you're, you're always going to have that risk with high school pitchers, even high school players in general, but even pitchers more so just because pitchers get hurt and you, you never know what's going to happen when they come back, even though we've come a long way in the last two decades with Tommy John surgery and even shoulder repairs, but you, you just don't know. There's so many hurdles for high school pitchers to overcome from the time they're drafted to the time that they reach the major leagues, if they even get there. If you're going to really dream on a prospect, it sounds like Chase Petty's the kind of guy you want to dream on. He's been up to 102 miles per hour with his fastball. He sits mid to upper 90s, good movement, good sink. 
which in Great American Ballpark, that really matters because any fly ball could land 20 rows deep because, well, it, that ballpark is just a joke. He's got a really good slider and a developing changeup. There's not any issues, so to speak, with his repertoire. He does have some, I guess, how do I want to put this? His mechanics aren't exactly great. There's some, there's definitely some effort in his delivery. And when you th mix that with somebody throwing that hard, you can understand that this is really a, a very high risk, high reward kind of player that you're acquiring for the Reds. And I think that the biggest thing that really sits wrong with me is, especially with the expanded playoffs, the Reds are a fringe playoff contender right now as things sit. They could have added players and really added some realistic expectations that, hey, this could be an 85-win team, which when you're putting 12 teams in the playoffs, that's a realistic contender for the playoffs. And, and instead, they're moving in the, the opposite direction. And, and the guy that they did acquire is, I mean, at best, four or five years away. Especially, too, Doug, look at the rest of the division. The Pirates are not going to do anything. The Cubs have maybe – I don't know what the Cubs are going to do. They, they cut payroll, too, a little bit. And they're more interested in, in getting their – gaming casino thing or their booking their book up at Wrigley Field right now currently and then I was thinking about the Cardinals signed Drew Verhagen which Chris and I were like that caught us off guard but it seems the Brewers are going to contend this year again because they have a really good pitching staff but you're right I think with the Reds could have upgraded a little bit here and there and stay in contention in, in a really I think at, down at NL Central but Chris you were saying earlier you and I were texting about this there's some reliever risk to him correct yeah, I mean, that, there's a lot of reliever risk to him. I think that was the main reason high schoolers who throw that hard don't come around uh, very often. They used used to come around never. They come around more often now. The Reds had one in Hunter Green. But yeah, we, it's just pure stuff. Chase Petty is electric, but there's a lot of effort to his operation and at his age, and he doesn't have a ton of projection remaining, as they say. Like his body, he's already like buff and, and looks like he's going to be as big as he's going to get. And that's the thing. You could, I could see a rebuild on the fly for the Reds. If you will, they've got Jonathan India. They've got some interesting young pitching come up. I mentioned Green. They've got Lodolo. I could see, hey, Sonny Gray might, they they had him for what, this year and one more year, I believe, with a team option. I could see them saying, hey, let's get something for him right now. Get somebody who can help us in the next couple of years. But as he was saying, that, that Petty is several years away, unless they just fast track him as a reliever, which kind of then deadens the value of him. Yeah, it, it was We've seen this across baseball now where teams are trading for guys at the lowest levels not, or the lower levels to try to get more upside. But this one felt like it did it. It felt like a, a weird salary dump for too much risk. But time will tell. Maybe they really love Chase Petty and couldn't get him last year. I don't know. Yeah, the, the Reds had a press conference today, and their general manager, Nick Crawl, mentioned that they did like him in last year's draft. They thought that they had a chance to get him with their supplemental first-round pick. They went 30th overall. Petty actually got drafted 26th, so he, he wasn't there for them when they had their second pick. It, it's a guy that they felt that they had a chance with. They had done a lot of background on him. Their local area scout really liked him. So it, it seemed that they had done their homework, and they really did want him, and they've wanted him for a while. It seems that they were very happy with the pickup. Like you said, it just seems like there, there's a lot of risk there. And it just it feels like they should have gotten – I don't even – I don't want to say something more for Sonny Gray, but something that maybe could help a little bit sooner with still plenty of upside given what Sonny Gray brings and that he really – realistically, he doesn't make that much money. So he, he's a bargain even if he doesn't perform as well as he has performed the last couple of years. And Justin, from your – perspective team up north a little bit what was your initial thoughts of the trade this afternoon yeah i had to agree with chris it's a lot of risk for giving up a lot sunny gray is a solid pitcher it's a very dependable arm and i agree with doug the reds are definitely on the fringes of being a playoff team one or two moves i think could have put them easily being one of those 12 teams and like you said that's not a division that's particularly great right now this is the last year of the unbalanced schedule they could have taken advantage of the Pirates, and it, it's interesting that they went for a guy that might help them in 2025. The Pirates are going to be on the upswing by them, maybe, finally. And you're competing for down the road with that. If that system flourishes the way we think it could, your goal now is to compete with that. That's very strange. I think, I really think they could have made one or two moves to be on the fringes of the playoff. I mean, I like Chase, Chase Petty. It's a good arm. But like Chris said, it's a ton of risk. Especially... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I just wanted to you make your point. I was just going to say we, we might want to touch on it from the Twins' perspective because that's going to affect two of our teams. I, I thought it was a great trade for the Twins. Like, absolutely. You're getting – Sonny Gray isn't the most durable guy in the world, 
but he's been a pretty darn good pitcher for, I don't know, seven, eight years now. They got themselves a mid-rotation starter at a reasonable salary, and they gave up. Yeah, you don't want to give up your most recent first-round pick, but then last year they traded uh, Berrios for a team's most recent first-round pick. So they're just swapping Austin Martin for Chase Petty, if you will. So, and, well, and Berrios for Gray. So I don't know. Maybe that comes out negative in the end. But we talked about it uh, on the podcast the other day that I don't think the Twins were nearly as bad last year as their record indicated. They played that poorly. But overall, talent-wise, they have a good offense. They just needed to shore up the pitching staff. And I think they've got a couple of interesting young arms. And now Gray could be the anchor of the rotation. And suddenly they're a lot more interesting to me. Yeah. The one thing you have to wonder is if Josh Winder is over his shoulder issues, and maybe that's why they went with Gray, because didn't believe that last year, was it he only pitched a few innings in AAA, was shut down. He does have above average command, but as far as him being ready for rotation, maybe that's why they pulled the trigger. Because I was looking at their system after the trade, because I, I realized that they have a lot of outfielders and infielders in the top of their system. And one of the, one of my favorite prospects, SWP, SWR, which is uh, Simone Woods Richardson. I love that name. I just, it's the abbreviation alone. He came in last year, and I, like I said, watching for the Mets system, I thought he was going to, Again, he was also shut down a little bit too because of injuries. Well, not because I'm not sure if it was injuries or not, but I remember his innings being limited towards the end. But that was a guy who has some really good strikeout numbers, but seemed to have been struggling a little bit on the double A side of things. But overall, I, I, there's some guys in the twin system not ready yet. So maybe that's why they pulled the trigger to have Gray there. And Gray can give you at least 130, 150 innings, which is, and these days in this modern baseball, that which would be much more acceptable. And yeah, the Twins' offense last year, it was just really everything. The bullpen was atrocious. They just didn't seem to get any pitching support, so this helps them get in the right direction. And unfortunately for the Guardians right now, and we'll get to you here in a second, Dustin, the, the Guardians have been pretty much a ghost in any of the conversations when it comes to the and, – and look, it, it's funny because we have Doug on here, and Chris Illich and the Reds owner – we're involved. We're one of the four owners that did not want to raise the cap. So it just seems any. But meanwhile, the Guardians have just been like just like tumbleweed things going on. But they again, the, the system is pretty loaded. It's loaded to the bear. But did you expect any anything to happen this weekend at all? I expected a lot more around baseball. Honestly, I thought more was going to happen than it already had. But yeah, the thing with the Guardians is that the, the system is never the franchise is never involved in a lot of rumors when things happen for them it's about of nowhere there's not a lot of smoke around their moves and i feel like as john morosi <clears throat> uh, michigan's favorite reporter had a report out about jock peterson and i said well that's odd because usually when there's smoke tied to the the cleveland franchise it's usually nothing it's usually the, the deals that last several years Corey kluber and i think morosi had the had cleveland dealing kluber four years before they finally did it, the Bauer deal, even though everybody saw that coming after his actions and, and Mike Clevenger, those deals just happened very quickly and came together quickly. So I'm not surprised there's a lot of silence, but if they're going to do something, it is going to be out of nowhere. Like I generally don't believe a lot of rumors until Jeff Passon tweets it until I see him tweet anything. I generally just try to stay calm and I, I try to let other fans know that everyone's getting up in arms. Like you should see guardians Twitter today. It is it has been an ugly fight over Jesse Winker and Jack Peterson. And it's very weird. They're like all ripping any chance of those acquisitions. And I'm like, Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado right now are might be your starting corners. Do you want, do you want Jack Peterson? Would you be interested in Jesse Winker over those two guys? Yes, you should be, but they're tearing themselves apart on guardians, Twitter. And that tells you how bad things are with the lack of news around the team. When, like you said, the system is ready for a trade. They have a healthy farm system. They need to clear some of the the way. It's a weird roster balance. Their their forty man roster is so unbalanced right now. They have to do something. So they're primed for a trade. Nothing's been out in the wind yet, which is why you see Guardians Twitter eating themselves alive tonight. It's safe to say the Tigers Twitter is the same way right now because every t I tweeted out something from MCB earlier. Twins and White Sox all having fun, and we're sitting here going, "Okay, when we're gonna have some." fun if you will but yeah we, no. we were touch, touching on it right before the show is, is yeah. it seems like there's two it seems like this whenever free agency begins there's two methods where some people go out there and try to they target the players they want immediately and try and go get them very quickly and that seemed like what the tigers did before the uh, shutdown 
And now it seems like if they're going to add anybody else, they're just sitting around and waiting to see who falls through the cracks. And maybe uh, Cleveland is doing the same. I don't know. But you would think that they want to upgrade their roster a little bit. They're another team that, due to pitching injuries last year, wasn't uh, nearly as good as I think they can be this year. And now they've got, I don't know, just an army of these kind of really interesting prospects from on lists will be from like 30 to 120 just like a dozen guys who could be average big leaguers and when you get that many of those guys every now and then one of them pops i remember, uh, I remember a, a young fellow by the name of jose ramirez who did that it wasn't yeah, jose ramirez you know. came out of nowhere oh yeah well, I, I just remember that the, they had a whole there was you know like a decade ago uh, cleveland had an army of infield prospects back then too and it was oh our, our buddy freddie elfalino what was his name he came and played on the tigers for a while was it Freddie? Who am I thinking of? Ronnie Rodriguez. Ronnie. Freddie. Yeah, Ronnie. Freddie Rodriguez. <laughs> Ronnie Rodriguez. Yeah. And, and Dorsey Spolino, I mentioned. And yeah. And, and Jose Ramirez was just one of them. And then suddenly out of nowhere, bam, MVP level player. Yeah. There's, and we'll, let's get back to the Reds for a quick second before we get back to the Guardians in terms of the, the top prospects. And uh, number one is being, of course, Hunter Green. And he had some good numbers down in double A Chattanooga before he got up to triple A. We saw him in triple A last season against the Mud Ends a couple times. Number two, one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball, and that's Jose Barrio, who, by the way, is just a beast. The guy had hard hit everything hard. We saw him last year. I think what times we see him last year, Chris, like four times. You know, I saw him a lot. I feel like we saw him a lot. So we definitely saw the Reds in the like extended. Minor league, what was that? April, where they were yeah. playing games on there. I don't know. I thought he may have been on the taxi squad at that point. I don't remember seeing him, but maybe you saw him more than I did. Was he on the taxi squad, Doug? I believe so. Okay. And then number coming in at number three was we mentioned earlier Nick Ododo, who was on a Baseball America or podcast recently talking about his game and electric stuff. LED La Cruz coming in at number four, and at number five coming in is Graham. Ashcraft. So, in terms of these guys that are on the top five, Doug, which ones are ready to go, or, or, or I mean, essentially close to ready to go, and who can contribute in twenty twenty two? Realistically, all of them except for Ellie De La Cruz. He's probably going to be in High A this year, and then just depending on how he plays and performs, go from there. But the other guys, they've all had plenty of success in Double A. Hunter Green had plenty of success in Triple A. He had two really bad starts. His first start, the wind was blowing out at thirty miles per hour, giving up four home runs in his Triple A debut. And then his second to last start of the year gave up six runs in four innings. But outside of those two starts, I think his ERA was like 3.15 in AAA last year. He had two starts that really skewed his ERA in AAA, but I think he was also the, the youngest pitcher in AAA last year too. David Bell said today in his press conference that he thinks that Hunter Green's ready. And you know, with the trade, they've now got two open spots in the rotation, assuming the other three guys stay healthy. And I think that it's going to come down to probably at least one of uh, Hunter Green, Nicodolo, and Graham Ashcraft. One of those guys is going to win a spot in the rotation. I'd be absolutely shocked if one of them didn't. And I think there's a decent chance that two of those guys could. I, I think it's a big ask to go into the season with two completely flat out, never had any big league experience guys in your rotation. But the Reds probably figured that into their calculus already when they decided, hey, we're going to trade Sonny Gray and let Wade Miley go on waivers. They had to feel at least a little bit confident in, in those guys that they had in AA and AAA last year. I, I they could possibly go with Jeff Hoffman, who they went with last year early on, just to buy him some time and see what happens. But I just, that's a tough sell for me right now, just because we saw what he could do. And he's a guy that he's, he's a swing man starter who can fill in for you if you need it. But when you've got those other options, do you really need it? The only reason that you would go with that is if you really wanted to play those service time games, like it'd just be too tough to sell to the fan base and anybody who's watched all of these guys pitch that Jeff Hoffman's going to be a better option than one of those three guys. And that, that's ignoring a guy like Tony Santion, who he's been a starter his whole life until last year when the Reds needed bullpen help, and he came up and pitched well out of the bullpen. Uh, I think his ERA was like 2.91 last year in 43 innings for the big league club. The Reds have a lot of really good options to fill out the back end of that rotation. They're a bunch of young guys, for the most part, without too much big league experience. So you're probably going to have those ups and downs, but if the other options are career friend big leaguers, what are you really going to do? Yeah, and in terms of even a guy who I'm surprised they didn't bring back, and I like the Tigers just to, uh, to take a look at him was uh, Michael Givens, who I thought did a decent job in the bullpen last year for for Cincinnati, and even for the in terms of bullpen wise, that is there anybody in the system right now that could probably come up at all or will start the season 
for the Reds. Yeah, I think that a guy who ended the season last year in the bullpen, I think he spent the last week there, Dowry Moreta. He's a guy who throws upper, mid to upper 90s, really good breaking ball. Last year, I he went two and a half months without giving up an earned run in AAA, and they still didn't call him up until the final week of the year. It was, it just, it was mind-boggling how they handled him last year, given how bad their bullpen was. But I think that with the openings that they have in the bullpen because they lost uh, Michael Gibbons. They lost Michael Lorenzen out of their bullpen. I, I think that he's a guy to really keep an eye on if you're looking for prospects to come up. A guy that's probably not going to break the the season with the club, but to keep an eye on maybe mid-season is Alexis Diaz. They added him to the 40-man roster back in November to protect him from the Rule 5 draft, which, well, <laughs> didn't actually happen. So that was always fun to look back at. But he was in double-A all of last year. Another guy, you know, mid to upper 90s fastball. He does uh, really well with his slider. He has a changeup, doesn't use as much, but he's probably the other guy that I would look at that's a pure reliever that could help out in the bullpen at some point this year. If the rotation's working well, whoever one of the prospects is that loses out of the rotation spot, there's always that chance that maybe they need somebody to come up and step into the bullpen. And Graham Ashcraft is a guy that I believe he's going to be a future starting pitcher, but some of the scouts you talk to, they say, hey, he's probably a future reliever. It wouldn't be surprising to me if at some point this year, if he didn't win a spot in the rotation, that he does come up and help in the bullpen if they need it. Chris, did you have anybody in mind that you wanted to discuss? Everybody wants to talk about Ellie De La Cruz. Seems like the the closest thing to O'Neill Cruz in terms of just yeah, he's funny. You see him; he's listed at what like six two one fifty, but he's four just yeah. taller than that now and fifty pounds heavier. But yeah, among players who aren't Tigers prospects who may be in the Midwest League, whatever the hell it's called now, playing yeah. for Dayton, he's one of the guys I most want to see just because all I've heard is is the tools are insane. So I don't know if you've seen him at all or. Yeah, it was just, it was funny because right before the season started for the guys out in Arizona at the complex level, you, you started hearing whispers. This, this guy, he's doing things. You hear that a lot about guys before games start, and it's just, okay, let's see. But he, he spent like two weeks in Arizona, and I, he was just crushing the ball. So they, they pushed him up to Daytona, and I, until the last three weeks of the season, he was averaging an extra base hit every other game. And then I think he had one extra base hit over the last three weeks. But yeah, it you don't... I've been covering the Reds farm system for 16 years now. You just, I don't remember them, anybody, Red scouts, Reds coaches, opposing scouts, talking about a player the way that they talk about Ellie De La Cruz. The only guy that's even close is Hunter Green. And that's a little bit different because you're talking pitcher versus position guy. But just the way that they say the things that they say about him is just different. You're talking about a guy, he's got 370 tools you don't see that in guys I, I do think it was funny you mentioned you know, he's listed at 6'2 150 and he's legitimately 6'5 210 now he's now to be fair when he was 6'2 150 that was probably when he was a 17 year old a couple of years ago in the DSL in his first year as a pro they probably just never updated that in the media guide and all of that stuff but he's gone from a scrawny wiry kid to he's still got room to fill out but he's a lot bigger and a lot stronger now. He's probably the guy that I'm looking forward to seeing in person the most. I, I've never seen him in person. I've seen a lot of video, but I, I've never seen him in person. And fortunately for me, Dayton's right up the street. It's like 45-minute drive. It's it's my, my quote-unquote home base. is where I spend more time uh, watching the guys play on the farm than anywhere else. And so I, I'm really hoping that's where he starts out and that I can probably you know at least see him a lot in the first half. won't go from there depending on how he performs. Yeah, we should head down to Dayton. I've heard some <clears throat> nothing but good things about that stadium and about that area down there. Definitely worth checking out. It's right test down 75, which would be, I think, was it, how far is it from Toledo? Like an hour, maybe? Uh, it's it's got to be more than an hour. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not even looking it up right now at the moment. In terms of anybody else, I, there was one, uh, there's one shortstop I wanted to ask about in Matt McLean, who they drafted out of UCLA. He has a very good hit tool defensively I wasn't sure about his glove but as far as in terms of power I know power is a big thing with him that he didn't have the lack of power but is this a guy that could be potentially seen we could see in either double a or is he going to stick around Dayton this year I'm pretty sure he's going to be in double a they had mentioned him earlier uh this week he got an invite to a big league camp when everything when the lockout ended the Reds like him but I I think that he's probably going to be a guy he's going to be in double a at least for the first half, I'd be really surprised if he got up to the big leagues at all this year, just because they've, they've got other guys in front of him. You mentioned the defense. There, it depends on who you ask, if he can really play shortstop. Some people think he's going to be a center fielder. Some people think maybe he can be at second base. But in all of those positions, you've got Jose Barrero, Jonathan India, and right now Nick Senzel in center field. 
it'd be tough to see him break into the big leagues if that's going to be the role. I I really doubt that they'd add him to the 40-man roster to be a utility backup kind of guy, but they do like him. For me, when I look at Matt McLean, I see a guy who's, he doesn't have quite the upside for maybe, in my opinion, to be an all-star, but I think that floor is very high. I I think it's going to be tough to say that he's not going to be a useful big leaguer. Just where he's going to play, I'm just not sure, especially if he sticks around in the red system because he's blocked right now at the three positions that he can play. Now, that always can change. Trades happen, injuries happen. Sometimes guys underperform. Nick Senzel was drafted number two overall in 2016, and he's had flashes, but he still hasn't been able to put together anything close to a full season of actual productive baseball at the big league level. And I think he's going to be 27 this year. So it's getting to the point where, you know, he needs to establish himself or if somebody's going to take his job from him, maybe that's going to be Matt McClain in a couple of years. Who knows? But right now, there's not a very clear path for him either. And that kind of segues into the Guardians. Speaking of path, you look at the top 10 prospects for you, Justin, in terms of just you look, there's three shortstops all right there in the middle. And there's a question of are they sticking the shortstop or are they going to go in the infield? And your number three shortstop that moved up quite a bit in four spots overall was uh, Brian Rochio. Rochio. Ah, totally. Probably Ro- Rochio. <laughs> Rochio. Okay, sorry. Rochio. Yeah. And then right after you had Tyler Freeman and a guy we saw last year in Gabriel Aries. So it's a question of where they're going to end up. Are they going to be playing shortstop? Are they gonna, if there's any of them going to have an opportunity to play third? And if so, what do you do? Because you have three guys who are in the 50-55 range there in terms of uh, prospect level, and that's a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, they haven't been shy about keeping guys in the middle of the infield. They've moved them all around, except for Arias. He's about the only one who hasn't moved as much. He's played mostly shortstop. Rokio played second and third. Tyler Freeman <clears throat> has really stuck at shortstop and second. He doesn't have the arm for third. He barely has the arm for short. So I think that'll be somewhere they move. Rokio can play anywhere and they've got other guys as well, but they don't even know who their shortstop is. I guess it's going to be a Med Rosario, but that's not a long-term fit. Obviously it's really hard to see. They have a Med, they have a Andres Jimenez, maybe playing second. There was Owen Miller. They don't have answers on any of these guys at the big league level. I think Ahmed Rosario is still young enough where you think he, he had a decent year last year. He Hasn't quite ever had the success we all thought he would as a prospect. The talent's there. He isn't that old, even though he has a thousand career plate appearances now, which is, you know, generally a good bar to see where a guy is, but they're still sticking with him. And they played, the weird thing was they played Cesar Hernandez at second base last year. They didn't need to do that. They had guys they needed to take a look at and they didn't. So now they're, they're stuck answering the same question is, okay, who's our shortstop? Because it's probably not Ahmed Rosario for the next seven years. Is it Andres Jimenez? Is Owen Miller, who was a big prospect this time last year for them? Is he a future big league bat? Is that, you know, where does Jimenez play? These other guys, there's a lot of questions. So if you're, if you think they go into spring training with Rosario at short and Jimenez at second and Owen Miller is maybe in there and I guess Yu Chang is still a thing, but that, that puts Arias back at shortstop in Columbus and that pushes Rokio down back to uh, Akron along with Freeman. So it's you're keeping these guys pushed down in the lower minor in the upper minors when Freeman missed a lot of last season with another shoulder injury, unfortunately. Arias played all year at AAA. They really pushed him. He skipped double A essentially with a time off in 2020. And they were extremely aggressive. I mean, he played pretty well, all things considered. The approach leaves a little bit to be desired there. Given his age, look, there were guys drafted last year that were older than Gabriel Arias, and he's in triple A. And I, I think it, it's high time for them to give some of these guys a look. And if they're not going to, they need to use them in trades as prospect capital to improve the big league club. It's just they, they keep pushing these guys to the minors. And it's so strange to see how, I don't know if it's risk aversion or what it is, but like I said before, this system is as healthy as it's been in a long time. They've got to find places for these guys, whether it's on their own club or to use them to supplement the roster in other ways. Chris, did you want to have any follow-up with that? Oh, no. You mentioned we saw Arias. We got a great look at him. He went. Yeah. I, he must have gone three or four. Justin, you may have been at that game. I don't know if that was the game we met you that down there where I remember him robbing. I, this would have been Toledo. Toledo. I don't know uh, if it was in any event. I just remember him. Yeah, he got three or four hits and, and made multiple great defensive plays, including 
I want to say one where he absolutely robbed like Grayson Griner of a hit, but then Grayson Griner's six foot six catcher. He's not exactly speed burner, but still, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he just he, he didn't like I don't know. You look at his numbers and they don't really jump off the page at you. But he's one of those guys in my mind that I think of. Yeah, he's got the skills and the ability to be at least an average big leaguer. Uh, maybe in his case, it would be more of a like a roving infielder. I don't know. But if they think that they want Rokio to be their starting shortstop, but I don't know. Like you said, they've got so many of these guys now and they, they have the ability to probably package a few of them together and get better at the big league level. But it's always tough to figure out which ones to keep and which ones to move. It seems like to me, it would be tough, but. That's why you stockpile them. And then you figure even if you move the wrong one, you've got somebody else in the pipeline. That's what they've yeah, learned anyway. And it, what the Guardians have is a wealth of infielders, which the Tigers, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things on the top, outside Ryan Kreider, you have Cody Clemens, but it just seems like at this, at the Christian Santana's got some hype to him, but there are some people at, at people from Baseball America say that Santana's going to be the real deal, but until you really can't say anything until he gets to double A and see what, what happens from there. But there was one guy too that I saw in September last year that, I saw him moved up your board pretty quick. That was Steve Kwan, who had a really good year last year. Batted over 300. He batted 330, excuse me, 328 in two stops, 12 home runs, 44 RBIs. Talk about him a little bit and why is he moved up so quickly and what's, in terms of, he's been in the system for, for you know, four or five seasons now. So what's changed with Kwan? Yeah, really, it's the addition of power to his game. And, and it's not that he's added strength or is hitting the ball harder. If you looked at his exit velocities, you would think that he's got 20, 30 grade power. So we're not looking at a guy that's putting out 95 mile an hour smokers. This is a guy who he changes batting stance. He's a little more upright in his stance now, and he's really embraced the pole side power. And this is what really led to Jose Ramirez's breakout is he was a hitter similar to Stephen Kwan in the minors where he was hitting the ball the other way, using his speed, getting extra base hits. Uh, Quan doesn't have as much speed or hasn't, hasn't been as good a base runner as Ramirez. But the thing that Ramirez really took off was he learned how to pull pitches on the inner half. He took advantage of Cleveland being a uh, progressive field, being a friendly park for left-handed hitters. He learned what Jose Ramirez probably averages, 90-91 exit velocity, nothing special. Quan's probably not even quite there, but he has really embraced that inner side, that pull side power in the inner half. And it's made a difference for him. And and I'm not saying he's going to be Jose Ramirez. But now you're talking about a guy who had maybe five home runs at his max to a guy that can hit 15 to 20. And he's got a tremendous approach. He had the lowest swinging strike rate of any batter in the minor leagues last year. So plenty of contact. He needs to, to learn to use the speed a little better on the bases. He's not a great runner, but he's definitely a left fielder, maybe a center fielder, definitely a left fielder in terms of arm. That's the only negative I can say about him, but. Yeah, the approach and, and a little bit of added pop to the game. When you go from a guy who can get on base at a 350 rate with five homers to a 15 to 20, that changes your profile dramatically. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's good to see that. Chris, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it is. He's reminiscent, not reminiscent, but like it, it's it, a lot of people have talked about Nick Madrigal, who was his, his former teammate at Oregon State, I believe. And Nick Madrigal is just this kind of weird player who has this elite ability to put the bat on the ball, but he doesn't have any power and but if you take somebody who has that ability and controls the strike zone so well and add 10 12 15 home runs suddenly you get a lot more valuable and that's what happened to Quan. and it's really interesting to see the disparity in some of the rankings like just industry-wide you look at fangrass i think him at as a top 100 maybe top 50 prospect overall and yeah, top 100 i think that baseball america has him 27th in cleveland system <laughs> yeah it's one of the things, too, about the Guardians system that I particularly – they've always known for pitching, and it's always been a, a system that can has a way of developing pitching, i.e. Shane Shane Bieber, Bieber, you have – there's so many other – Clevenger, there's so many examples of that. And right now, in terms of system-wise, where does it stand right now with pitching, Justin? And are they – do they have some secret arms again where they're just going to turn out some dudes who are going to win a Cy Young out of nowhere, and we're all just going to sit there and go – just that's the way they do it. <laughs> I don't know if they have another Cy Young winner down there. Yeah, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see Daniel Espino last year. He's just very, very special arm. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, very special arm. I don't know where he ends up. He's a lot like Chase Petty in a way where he's one of those high 
fireball right-handers out of high school. There's relief risk there, but if everything breaks the way you hope, he can be a Cy Young winner, a, a top of the rotation kind of guy. There's a lot of frustration with his command. I liken him to a Baldo Jimenez a little bit. You, know, you get those flashes of just really brilliant starts, and then you get some starts where he just can't find the strike zone, and the stuff is just all there, but you really want to see some better pitching. So he's got a lot of ways to go in terms of command and control. But the arms are as good as they've been. They really had a bad year last year in terms of major league ready arms. They were throwing out guys that had no business being up there. All five guys in the rotation were hurt or struggling, if you include Tristan McKenzie. And they were caught off guard by not having upper level depth. So now they have Connor Pilking. They've got a lot of guys at that AAA level that should be ready to contribute this year that they added to the 40-man roster. Cody Morris was hurt a lot of last year, but he came back in the second half. And he was dynamite. I'm curious to see what he can do this year. The biggest question for him is going to be health. He's got some relief risk to him because of his injuries and ability to hold stuff late in the games. But I think he's a guy that relatively could be a mid-rotation guy if you know he does somehow for the first time find a little bit of health. Tobias Myers is on the 40-man roster. They got him. One of the weirdest trades I've ever seen is you know, this is a team that was really struggling to figure out how they were going to add, how they were going to create room on the 40-man roster ahead of the, the now bunk Rule 5 deadline last year at the and last winter. And they go out and they trade uh, a DSL shortstop, Junior Caminero, to Tampa Bay for Tobias Myers, another guy to be put in the 40. And it's like they don't have a lot of pitching to begin with. So I'm like, I can't believe they created room for this guy. So they must really like him. I'm excited to get a look at him. A couple arms that are not on the 40 that I really like, though, are Peyton Battenfield. They got him from Tampa Bay last year in the Jordan Luplo deal. Tons of good metrics, big fastball, improving slider, just a really nice uh, combination of stuff, good command. And Logan T. Allen was one of my favorites last year. I think if there's anybody in the system that can be Shane Bieber-esque, and I'm not saying he's going to win a Cy Young, and it's funny because all the quotes we heard about Shane Bieber coming up in the minors, it sounded a lot like Corey Kluber. They were talking about the way he attacks hitters, the way he has command of the game, and just his overall poise and how he takes, you know, coaching. It all sounded like Corey Kluber. And then he bloomed into a Cy Young winner. I don't know. I, I can't say for sure. You can never say for sure with these guys. Logan T. Allen, to me, seems like one of those guys that is, you're going to look at him. You're going to say, okay, he could be a, a number five. Cause that's what people thought about Shane Bieber. We thought strike throwing number five, Josh Tomlin type. And he turns into a Cy Young winner. I think Logan T. Allen's a guy that looks and ends up being like a, a mid-rotation number two kind of guy just because he has so much deception to his game. And I don't think people are really looking at him and, and his 91, 92 mile hour fastball is anything special. And he ends up surprising you. Another guy that was surprised. Oh, Chris, I'm sorry. You're going to say something. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's it just, yeah, there's a, a dude they took, I think, in the second round last year, Doug Nikhazy, who felt like 100% a, a Cleveland pitcher pick to me as a guy who he had success in the sec never had like crazy over the top stuff but threw a lot of strikes and got people out and it just he's another one of those guys it wouldn't shock me if they find the magic sauce and suddenly he's sitting 94 and striking out 150 people and walking four every year but who knows it's almost like the same thing with carlos vargas who you look at his numbers on paper and he's on the 40-man roster Justin, I guess they know something we don't know about Vargas. Vargas, I don't know. He missed a lot of time. So last year he had Tommy John, but they added him before that. Um, one of those guys that just took a little while to develop to get to out of the complex leagues. But guy who can throw 100, he, he averages 95, 96 in the fastball. The slider is, for me, plus right now. I think the changeup can evolve in 50. So he's got three pitches that are easily 50 to 60. Uh, he just needs some work on the command and control it's not too far off. The only really issue with this fastball is it doesn't miss a lot of bats. It's one of those fastballs that has weird shape and really induces a lot of soft contact and a lot of broken bats. The high velocity is really good. The slider is good. I said last year, I thought that he could be a reliever for them last year. He, he was only in short season ball in 2019, but of course he had Tommy John last year. I wonder if they'll go the relief track with him just because of the time missed and, and the stuff and the issue with control and command. There is some effort to the delivery as well. Those he's got three pitches that could be 50 or above. And and the guy that came over from the trade last year from San Diego, Joey can't had a hip injury last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. And where does he stand right now? I know you dropped a little bit in your prospect standings. Yeah, we tried not to drop him too much. A lot of 
weird things happened last year, especially after everybody missing 2020. But for Cantillo, missing 2020 hurt, and then he missed most of last season. A guy that was Rule 5 eligible this year, obviously that's not happening, but he came back and he was throwing a little harder than he did. I think and when he was with Fort Wayne in the Midwest League, he was throwing about 89-91. I think when he came back last year, he was more 91-94, so that was good to see, but we don't know if that's going to hold up over the course of 150 innings yet. The changeup's still really good. The Vulcan changeup grip that he has still looks great. Uh, the curveball still needs to progress forward. He needs a little more velocity on that. He added a, a cutter hybrid slider kind of thing. That's something Cleveland has done with a lot of pitchers. Tanner Burns, who was their first rounder in 2020. Cody Morris, when he came back, had a hybrid cutter slider. And then Joey Cantillo did that. Some kind of pitch there they must be putting with guys that have certain arm slots and certain grips they're able to handle this hybrid cutter slider thing. So he's got an additional pitch now and, and the plus changeup. The command was not good last year and he came back, obviously very rusty, but very beneficial to the Guardians that there was no rule five draft because if I'm some other team, I'm stashing him. I like the upside still. Yeah, I thought that was a really good pull there by the Guardians last year to get him in that trade and knowing full well how they will develop. I know he was really highly regarded in the Padres system. So, Doug, back to you real quick in terms of guys that well, – who's a guy that you expect to be a surprise to come up this year or just make their way up the minor league roster – minor league ladder for the rest of the season? Now, there's three shortstops that are lower down in the system. We'll start off with Jose Torres. He was the Reds' third-round pick last year out of NC State. He was considered to be the best defensive shortstop in the entire draft, but there were a lot of questions about it. He came out last season, and it, limited playing time. It was just, what, 28 games. But he hit 333 and slugged 591. If you can get any sort of offense out of a, a good defensive shortstop, it's going to help. He's got good bat speed, and he hit well at NC State last season, but he, he struggled in the past. So there's still some lingering questions about that, but you know, I really do what I see. Hopefully that carries forward. They had a guy in, in the DSL last year, a 17-year-old named Carlos Jorge. He hit 346, 436 on base percentage, and he slugged 579. He stole 27 bases. He almost he walked almost as often as he struck out. You know, He's not a big projectable guy. But the reports that I hear, it's just very good back control. He can spray the ball everywhere. He's got you know, solid power, really what I see out of him. And then back in January, they signed the number three overall prospect, according to both Baseball American and MLB Pipeline, in the international class in Ricardo Cabrera. He's a legit five-tool guy. Uh, spent a lot of money on him, which isn't something the Reds have often done in the international market. I, he's probably going to spend the year in the DSL this year, but I think that those are probably the three guys that we could see really take that next step and vault up the rankings because in two of the cases, they didn't have hardly any professional experience. And then in Jose Torres' case, I think that he's just a guy who could break out and show that what he had done in, in 2019 and 2020 in college, first off, 2020 was only a handful of games in college anyways. You know, he definitely is one of those guys who developed in college, and maybe we just didn't get to see it as much because of what happened in 2020. He had a very good debut, and I, I think the tools are there. Chris, did you want to follow up with anything else or any on the Reds system? Oh No, I just Jose Torres was an interesting one. I remember watching him, that NC State team that made it to the College World Series and then suddenly had to leave because of everybody got COVID or something like that. But there were a lot of good players on that team. And he was one of the, the key offensive contributors. Austin Murr was on that team. Uh, Tigers underground uh, favorite Austin Murr. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's but, one of, yeah. That guy, the guy has got a strange stance, man, but he can hit, doesn't hit with power, but he's one of my favorite pop-up guys. So I hope makes some progress this year. And there's one guy I wanted to ask you about too, Doug, that I was thinking about, because we see him quite a bit last year. And that was a uh, TJ Friedel before he got up to Cincinnati as far as him sticking around this year, is he pretty much going to be on the major league roster this season? You know, I'd be surprised if he did make the roster. The Reds have a weird outfield situation with the, the, the guys that they do have. They're going to be starters. That's fine. But they have Shogo Akiyama, who can't be optioned. Aristides Aquino can't be optioned. He's probably just going to lose out to a numbers crunch unless there's an injury. What I love about TJ Friedel, he's one of my favorite prospects to write about after every season. That guy bunts so well. Like, I call him the bunt king. Um, and I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head right now, but I, I feel like he's had 72 bunt base hits in the last, like, three seasons. The guy is just an incredible bunter. It's not like that's all he can do, but it's, it's just 
he's different in, in that aspect than other players in the in the minor leagues. It's just incredible. You know, I, I think that I'm probably the high guy on him anywhere. I've been saying for years, and I've had conversations with Reds personnel. He's been eligible for the Rule 5 draft the last couple of years, and nobody's they didn't protect him. In the one year they didn't, nobody took him. And I'm um, just like, how is nobody taking this guy? Like, he can play all three outfield spots. He can make contact. He can run, like... How is that not something that somebody wants to take? I, I always just come back to, sure, he doesn't have that huge upside that it seems so many teams want to take in the Rule 5 draft, but it's like, how often does that work out? Like, you usually don't end up getting anywhere near that kind of production from somebody. So they'll take these guys in low A because they throw 98 miles per hour, but they have no idea where the ball is going, and then they end up returning them on March 26th. Where you could take a guy like Friedel, then you've got a solid bench player with maybe a, a possibility to start in center field for you if you need it. I, I personally love TJ Friedel. I, I do think that he he's probably not a, a first-tier starting center fielder, but I really do think he's got enough ability to start for center field for some teams in Major League Baseball. But again, I, just, I don't think it's going to be with the Reds this year just because he's got options and other guys don't. So unfortunately, that's just how the game works sometimes. And with Friedel, I, I liked about his game. You mentioned it, how he can play all three positions. And the Tigers right now, for our outfield the outfield goes in triple A and double A. Chris, I, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank here outside of Riley Green, who we probably know may start the year in with the team. The outfield depth drops off a little bit. I have to focus on the guys who, the prospect fatigue guys or the older, like Daz Cameron, maybe in Toledo. Victor Reyes may be in Toledo. You mentioned Riley Green. Jacob Robson will probably be in Toledo. These guys who have been around for a long time. The You could hope that maybe. Daniel Cabrera figures it out at the plate and then moves up to AAA this year, or Eric De La Rosa keeps improving and makes it up to AAA. But yeah, there's not a whole lot of excitement in the outfield right now. It's Riley Green is is super fun, obviously. And Nikhil Badu was awesome in the big leagues last year, at least awesomely entertaining. He's still got some steps to make. But yeah, it's a little bit thin after that. So I, I don't know. Maybe they look for some trades. Yeah, and that's why I think with the ability for him to play all three positions. And that was a guy who I was thinking about. Maybe the Tigers could take in the rule five draft, but lately the Tigers have been doing nothing, but in terms of, of course there's Victor Reyes, but, and there's a kill do, but maybe they were going to go pitching because right now the Tigers don't really have a lot options for left-handers at the moment outside of Soto that can go to, and they don't really, I mean, Miguel DePozo. No, I, I, you know, I just from a, just, from a topical, from what I've seen, I don't know if the, the Pozo would be something that would be around. And yeah, and then we don't know what's going to happen with Brian Packard this year. Brian Packard, there is some prospect fatigue with that too, because everybody, even myself, and Trevor Huth, Brian Packard all day, and then he had some back injuries. And we've talked about this. I feel like we've broken record. When you have a bad back, it lingers because it, it affects everything you do in your swing, everything. And so that's where I think that the Tigers. We'll see what happens this year if he's healthy or not. And I also you think about another guy too, Carpenter. Those guys are org guys. They have a lot of they have some serious org guys right now at the moment. But yeah, TJ Friedel. What do you want for him, Doug? Just if you want if you want some money to recuperate. If you're gonna give me some money, sure. Go. go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that uh, the Reds are gonna be too thrilled about that. But you know, I got bills to pay, so sure. You guys can send me some money, and I'll see what I can do. Yeah, try to help your the, the get some better where the water doesn't run off on your house. Yeah, I'm trying to buy me a farm, and those are cheap. And so, Justin, before we we end it out here, the, a couple of things in terms of other prospects to look out for in 2022. Is there any names? Is it is Will Benson going to be something? Is like my one of my favorites to watch. And I watched a lot of it when I was doing those prospect live recaps. Was Oscar Gonzalez. And he seemed like he was. I know your eyes went. What? I just remember that he was very streaky at times. But yeah, somebody mentioned in the chat Parker Meadows. Parker Meadows. Look, I'm just gonna say about this Parker Meadows. I have to see what he does. This is a make or break year for him. If he starts the season at Erie, that's a good sign. If he starts at West Michigan and struggles again, yeah, honestly, I, I I like Parker Meadows' upside. I do. But it just really depends where he starts. But so, anyways, back to Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, Justin, are you a fan of him? Or he's got more potential as a major league hitter now than he did a couple of years ago. He made a change to his swing last year where he got a little more separation from his hip to his hands, and that helped him 
make better swing decisions. He was connecting on breaking balls a little more, or he was able to have better pitch selection because of it or identify pitches earlier. So he hit more home runs last year. He had a career high in home runs. The problem with him, though, is he swings the bat like he thinks he's Vlad Guerrero Sr., where he doesn't think he needs to walk because he's a, a great power hitter. And he has above average raw power plus raw power, really. But the approach is so bad. And you're not he's not getting on base by the walk. He's not really a viable defensive outfielder. He's got a good arm, but he's very limited in his range and he's not a great runner. So the, the value for him is the low end DH. He's really he's gonna hit maybe 25 home runs at the big league level, but you're talking about a guy who's gonna get on base at like a I don't know, a 310 clip, 320 in the best year. So this is a relatively low end DH role. So I don't think the value is really there. He, until last year, I did not think he was a viable big leaguer. The power was definitely there. The batting practice power was always there. But yeah, I, I think he, he is somebody who would have benefited from the Rule 5 draft. I think somebody would have taken him and saying in the National League, now we have the DH and see if he can stick as a low end DH. But I think he's buried in Cleveland. He's on. He's not on the 40-man roster and he's, uh, got an invite to big league spring training, but e- even though they don't have a lot of outfield prospects right now, and you have George Valera and we talked about Steven Kwan and there's Richie Palacios who's played the outfield and they should trade for a major league outfielder. They really should. I just don't see where he fits here, but yeah, I think he has a big league future. I just don't think it's a high end one. That was a name. I don't know why, but he always took out an Akron. There was some nights where he was hitting the ball in Akron and that's why I was curious if he was anything legit outside of seeing some of the numbers. And I, I didn't get a chance to see him in person, but no. And in terms of anything else, guys, before we get out of here, anything you want to plug, Doug, I know you have, you do, by the way, I worship. I am a big fan of how you do your site and your Patreon and tell, tell the Tiger fans out there exactly where to find you and why your Patreon, if you're even into the Reds, you should be, if you live in Ohio, South of, Cleveland, of course, or for that matter, maybe you grew up big fan of uh, WKRP in Cincinnati or you're a fan of the Bengals or whatever the case is. I don't know. But either way, uh, Doug, take it away. Your site as much as possible. Yeah, so I'm, I'm everywhere. I, I cover the Reds Farm System for Baseball America. That's just one, once or twice a month, depending on what's going on. I cover the Reds Farm System daily at RedsMinorLeagues.com. During the season, yeah, I think that the Patreon does really well. I give daily updates of all the Everything that goes on every night in the farm system, all five teams, or all six teams, down from the DSL all the way up to AAA. Lots of extra information that you don't get on the site, and it gets emailed to you every day. It's $4 a month. Reds, uh, Patreon.com slash Reds Minor Leagues, if you're one of the, I'm going to guess, I don't know, 5,000 Reds fans that happen to be watching this, right? That's the numbers you guys are doing? Yeah, and then I cover the big league club over at uh, redlegnation.com. And yeah, it's a full-time job, guys, but it beats working on a roof, which is what I did for a couple of years before this. Yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, Doug, mad respect for that, because if you make this a full-time job, it's awesome. Justin, what about you? What are, what's going on? I know you've been doing some stuff with Prospects Live, but what's going on at the Guardians baseball site? Yeah, right now, Guardians Baseball Insider, we're making our way through the uh, top prospect scouting reports for the season. Those are for our insiders. Uh, Definitely, if you are interested in reading about Guardians prospects in depth, we do a scouting report in top 61 this year. It might be top 62 after getting a catcher from Milwaukee today. We've got to make an addition finally. And then during the season, we're also going to have writers in Columbus and Akron, Albion Lake County. We've got a writer in Arizona for Goodyear. We've never had a writer in Lynchburg in our history. I wish we did. So if you're listening to this and you thought, oh, I'd love to cover my league baseball in Lynchburg, Virginia, get a hold of me at, uh, at jail underscore baseball on Twitter. We're looking for people. Um, really proud of our class of interns. The last several years, we've had a couple interns go on to jobs in sports, and we're going to have some more soon. And I'm looking forward to this year's class. We've got a lot of talented media students in, who are going to be covering Columbus this year. And we've got people on the scene at every Ohio minor league home game, whether, like I said, Columbus, Akron, Lake County, and a little bit in good years. Our subscription is $4.99 a month. There's no commitment. If you just want to sign up and and read the scouting reports when they're all done for a month and be done, that's fine. We're going to have in-person reports for most affiliates all season like we always do, which is great. So definitely stick around for that. We actually are going to have a Guardians reporter this year. We didn't have a Guardian slash, you know, Indians reporter last season. So we will this year. That'll be exciting. So get the good stuff. It's behind the subscription. We work pretty hard at it. None of us are full-timers. Some, like I said, some are college students. This is a, a labor of love for me. I don't, I'm not putting food on the table with this. I just do it because I enjoy it and I want to stay writing about baseball. 
I'm in the same boat with, with you, Justin, in terms of I'd like to make just a little money enough with because gas prices, inflation, you got to just uh, cover the cost for that and all this wonderful gear I got. I was sorting through the camera updates and I sent Chris the rotating video. We got it. Uh, so it's actually, I have it. Oh, it's right. I, you know, I have it right here. I got a couple of things this year. Thanks to our limited Patreon, what we have for Patreon, but I saved up for this. I got a pocket radar this year, so we'll finally get a pocket radar out there. Uh, it's going to be working up with the app. And we have a the other thing I wanted to show is so essentially it's like a pivot head. So it moves with the camera as there's movement. So it's uh, pretty cool if you're going to be taking video and uh, people or players moving around. So it does it all for you while you're standing there and just it makes it easier to take video versus the shaky thing of, of it all but we have a new thing that we're going to be rolling out it's called the from the it's called the wino app or window excuse me window window app and that's if you go there it's uh four dollars a month and you get nightly recaps all sorts of uh, information and we'll just text it to you and we don't get your number we don't use your number to sell anything and so we'll be rolling it out here in a couple of weeks so I'll talk to you guys about, about that if you guys are interested in giving that to your uh, fan base because I think it's a pretty cool opportunity to get texts and, and get that information right then and there after a game. But, no, Justin, you always do good work, and, and the fact that you work with students, I've done that before with uh, Sports Radio Detroit, and it's always a rewarding experience. And we have one we had one writer now who works for the Royals fan side. So she's stoked. She loves talking Royals, and even though she lives in Detroit and doesn't like the Tigers, but it's okay. It's no big deal. Ah, whatever, you know, it's cool. <laughs> she go out, she could wax poetic about George Brett, so it's uh, it's pretty pretty cool. Chris, did you want to have any? Do you want to plug any articles or anything you got coming out the next couple of days? Nothing particular. We're just ramping up now that the actual baseball season is coming. I, I was thinking I might do some uh, little article about all the former Tigers who are signing elsewhere. Just a fun little hey, where are they now? Piece, but other than that, no. Just like you said, we're going to be getting the forty man pieces going and. Ramping up for the, we did a lot of minor league stuff, waiting for major leagues to happen. So we're pretty much set there, I think, until they announce the actual rosters. So, yeah, just getting ready for the actual season. Some actual spring training games too here in about a week, right? Yep. Uh, actually, I think this week. Actually, as soon as this week we'll leave. Yeah, the eight, I think it was the 18th is the first yeah. first day of games. Yeah, I'm stoked for that, and I'm really excited just for the go out and travel again, like we did last year, and meet up with everybody. Hopefully, we'll meet you down in Dayton this year when the Whitecaps head down there to, play, to take down the Dragons. And no, I'm just, I'm looking forward to all the baseball. And the biggest thing I, I've noticed with both your respective fan base is that I always like seeing the comments you guys, after you guys leave a poster story. I know some people drive Doug crazy, but in terms of, <laughs> just <don't> look, <laughs> but just seeing on the Guardian side of things, is cool. And we're hoping that we continue to grow this year and um, for all of us. So thanks guys for joining, stopping by. We appreciate it. And go to the, our YouTube channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It takes two seconds. We'll be, I, I will find, I found some video of the newest tiger that they signed yesterday for the Padres. And yeah, there was going to be, he pitched for the Padres last year for a cup of coffee and I'm drawing a blank on him. You know, Diaz who's the fastball change of combination sliders, doesn't really have much of a slider, but I've dug up some video and I'll be posting it on Tiger Minor League Report soon. So we'll see you next week. We'll be talking White Sox, hopefully with one of the White Sox prospect people. Until then, have a good week, everybody. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Becoming your strongest financial self? Good plan. Northwestern Mutual's Guide to Good Financial Planning can help you balance spending and saving, set goals, and start creating the life you want to be living. Get it today at northwesternmutual.com slash good plan. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. 
You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.